So, yeah, so miracles. Um, if I can get this done in 25 minutes, if they've asked, that's a miracle this morning. So that's one thing I'm really going to strive for. I guess that's kind of up to me, not God. I'm going to do my best, though. But um, we basically, my wife and I, were in ministry. My fam- I should say my family. It's not just us. Our kids, we were in ministry for 20 years. And then uh, God just kind of spoke to us and, and asked us to kind of uh, get out in the marketplace. So for about six years, we've been just kind of working regular jobs and as, as secret agents for Jesus and, and uh, sharing hope in the midst of the marketplace. But I've got like six years of stuff built up in me, so I feel like I'm a horse at the gates ready to go. And, and uh, I had one opportunity a couple weeks ago to share, and that was the first time in six years I had preached, and it was awesome. I feel like I'm home. So anyways, I am going to do good. I promise everybody, all the powers that be, I'll, I'll do it quick, but um, we're going to go through this. I had a mentor once tell me that it wasn't... Um, Official until you until you actually read a, read a scripture. So I'm going to read something real quick. First, First Corinthians uh, two two. It says, "For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." That's huge, you know. There's an old evangelist. His name was Smith Wigglesworth, and uh, I, I read a lot about Smith. And he saw crazy miracles and and awesome healings and all this wonderful stuff. And I remember this one book I was reading, and he said, "You know, I never preached healing. I just preached Jesus, and people would get healed." He said, I never even preached salvation. I would preach Jesus and people would get saved. He said, I never preached breakthrough. I would just preach Jesus and, and breakthrough would happen. And I thought, you know, I really believe that the church is coming back to a place where we have a fresh revelation of the truth and the simplicity of the gospel because we can make it really difficult, but it's really simple. You know, my Bible says that Jesus, it says that his name is above every name. So no matter what you're going through this morning, as long as there's a name, Jesus is above that. You know, we've prayed for people in the past that they didn't know what was going on. Um, you know, I'm feeling sick, and I've been to the doctors, and I don't know what's going on. They don't know what it is. And so we would just give it a stupid name because we knew that his name was above that name. So we would name it. I shouldn't say it because somebody maybe here named that. But just think of a really wimpy name, and we would give that affliction that name, and then we would just pray over it knowing that Jesus was above all that. And I really think that there's, we're coming to a place where there's a generation of radical believers that are rising up that are just actually believing that Jesus is big enough to do whatever they need. It makes it really simple. You know, we've done street ministry. We've done all that sort of stuff. And I know I've heard people say, well, I've never been, you know, I've never lived on the street or I've never done this or I've never been addicted to drugs. So I don't know if I can minister to them. And my answer is Jesus was never addicted to drugs either, but he could always minister to them. Jesus never, you know, went through a lot of the things that these people went through. And yet because he was who he is, he could minister to them and see breakthrough and see deliverance and see people set free and healed in the midst of all of that. And I really believe my Bible, you know, I, I wrote in every, every Bible that I buy, I write in the front, I said, I believe my Bible on purpose. And it's true. I choose to believe the stuff that's in here. And you know what? Jesus was able to do all that. And, and my Bible says that once, once you receive him, he is living inside of us. Like sometimes we know that, but do we really know that? Like the creator of the universe is living inside of us, which means that every circumstance we walk into, anything that's going on that is not of him has to bow. Like, I really believe, and you guys can, you don't have to believe me, and Pastor Glenn, you know, whatever, you don't have to invite me to speak again, but I believe that the perfect plan of God is not to keep fixing the broken over and over again, but I believe the perfect plan of God is to keep you whole. 
you know, I, th- I think that we, we, you know, Bill Johnson says we radically, how did he word that? Did I write that down? We radically underestimate what happened to us at the point of conversion. You know, it is huge what happened to us when we stepped into that place with God and we said, you know, I, I believe that he wants us to walk in a place where we're whole all the time. No, I'm not saying stuff doesn't happen. Stuff happens, but what is it that sways you? Are you able to look past that? Are you focused on your circumstances? Are you focused on your sickness? Are you focused on your lack and not focused on him? Because he really is the answer. I believe that we can live free from the power of sin, free from the power of darkness, free from sickness, disease, lack. I think we can literally rise up and walk so far above that that the, that the, the world will actually look at us and say, man, there's something different going on inside of that person. That's what I believe, anyways. I think, I think to a certain degree, um, I think to a certain degree we walk in, how do I say this? I think to a certain degree we walk in a place that's equal to our revelation of who God really is. You know, if we think that God's mad at us and judging us and pointing his finger at us and waiting for us to mess up and all this stuff, I think we're going to walk in fear. We're going to walk scared. We're going to walk in this place of never wanting to step out and believe for something miraculous and wonderful and beautiful because we never measure up. But the reality is, this is what my Bible says, the reality is is that he's not judging us through what we do. He's judging us through what Jesus did. You know, the Old Testament was types and shadows of, of Jesus all through it. And, you know, when people would mess up in the Old Testament, they would bring a sheep or whatever as, as the sacrifice for them. And, and the priest would look at that animal and make sure it had no blemish, no spot, no wrinkle. They would take care of that animal. That's as deep as I'm going to go with that. And that's what would take care. Basically, that would sort of buy them some time until the next time they had to do it. So let me ask you this. In the Old Testament, when they did that, did the priest look at the person bringing that animal or did the priest look at the animal? So if the Bible says that he was the lamb slave before the foundations of the world and Jesus was actually the ultimate sacrifice for us, then when God judges us, is he looking at us or is he looking at the sacrifice? See, we, we, we go along so good and then we, we mess up and we think God is all ticked off and all of a sudden now we don't have the anointing and now we don't have the right to preach the gospel and now we don't have the right to share and maybe I shouldn't pray for that person because I, you know, sped and gave somebody the finger yesterday, whatever... When in actual fact, Jesus, or the, the Father isn't looking at us. He's looking at Jesus' perfect sacrifice. Now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And that's really where it all falls on. And we can walk in the beautiful nature of all of that because of Jesus. Does that make sense? Never looked at the, anim- never looked at the person that brought the animal. Looked at the, looked at the lamb. He was the perfect Sacrifice, sacrificed once and for all. Never again. 1101. I believe that our God is ready and waiting and longing to make all the difference imaginable in our lives. But our image of God, like I said, affects our ability to receive. You know, here's truth for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you are a new creation. Go there for one second. I didn't give these guys anything to go by, so... um, they're just going to have to try to keep up. You guys are amazing back there. You know, I have this thing where I really feel that my life's message is, is, is to help people and challenge people to see their identity in Christ. And I can look at anybody and earnestly say, you're awesome. I don't even care what you did. 
Because if he was willing to die for sinners, if he was willing, while we were still yet sinners, he went to the cross for us, who am I to judge your actions, what you did last week? Now, I mean, if we're both believers, you know, and I'm out messing around, certainly come to me and say, hey, look, that's probably not the best thing to do. But I'm talking about our standing with God. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. Man, oh man, I love this stuff. Okay, 2 Corinthians, where was I? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Check this out. This is incredible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That word new is kainos or kainos or however you pronounce it. I think it's kainos or kainas. Do you know how to pronounce it? Pretty close, close enough. That means recently made, fresh, unused, um, of a new kind, unprecedented, uncommon, unheard of. Let's break that down a little bit. We are, when we receive him, we are literally a new creation. Something unheard of, unused, never thought of. Like, I, I explain it like this. I'm wearing Converse Chuck Taylors. I don't know if you all can see that. <laughs> and I love these shoes. And when these shoes get old and ratty, then I get rid of them and I buy another pair exactly the same. That's a certain type of new. That is, that is a new type of shoes, but they're the same kind. They're just new. That's not what it's talking about here. When we receive Christ, <laughs> when we receive Christ and we literally become a new creation, it's like, it's like my old shoes have become old. And all of a sudden, I buy these shoes that no one has ever seen before. I can run 70 miles an hour. I can blast off to the moon. I can translate from one continent to the next. Like, we're talking, you have become something completely unheard of. That's, what, that's who you are now. In him, you are not just a, a shined-up version of your old broken self. You are something wonderful and beautiful and so new and so fresh and never heard of. Oh my gosh, I don't even recognize you anymore. I don't even know who you are. You're just, you're so incredible. You, you cha- you've, you've completely changed. Now here's the thing, a lot of us don't walk in that because we don't understand that. We don't have a revelation of how amazing we are. We believe the lie that we have to stay. You know, there's a lie going around the church that as soon as we start to get confidence in who we are in Christ, all of a sudden people say, well, don't get arrogant. That's a lie from the pit. And I will say that till the day I die. Being confident in who you are. Like, I honestly believe that I can do anything I put my mind to. Being confident in who you are in Christ is a lot different than being arrogant. Arrogant is when you think high of yourself and you think you're better than other people. That's arrogance. But just being confident in who you are in Christ and thinking, man, I'm awesome. That's, that's actually not arrogance at all. It's when you start comparing yourself to other people thinking you're better. I honestly believe that every one of you can do whatever you put your mind to. And I'm saying that honestly. Like, I honestly think that when you receive Christ, you became so unheard of, uncommon. The world needs what you're carrying. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's huge. 2 Peter 1.4. Jump there for a second. 11.06. The clock is my arch nemesis. My beautiful mother is here today, your lovely friend. 
What did I say? What am I talking about here? Second Peter 1.4. That's what I'm looking for. You guys there yet? Good. You're ahead of me. It's on the screen already. Holy macro. Maybe I'll just read it from there. Oh, that's huge. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. We literally have a supernatural divine nature available to us. We have his nature. You know, we we make God so distant and so mysterious and so whatever, and he is, he's beautiful and wonderful and, and he is like glorious, but he's also come. And he's living within us so that we can walk in that same thing. Do you guys realize that everybody who came to Jesus for healing was healed? I believe that, I believe that should be the same for all of us. If, if we have somebody that comes to us that's not feeling well, I believe that we should be able to lay hands on them and see Jesus heal them right away. Every single person. Now, have I seen that manifest in my life yet? No. But I'll tell you this. I will never let my experience dictate my theology. And if we don't set the bar really high with a revelation of that's really where we're supposed to live, then we're going to set it really low and we'll hit it every time. I will never let stuff I see dictate my theology. I believe, every, you know what, if somebody's dying and, and, they're, and they're sick and, and, and it looks like that sickness is going to take them, I still pray for divine healing. And if it's their time to go, I would rather see them supernaturally healed and then go completely healthy. Because I don't think sickness should ever take anybody. I don't think sickness is of God. Do I understand why it does take somebody? I I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know all the answers. But there's something so beautiful in the revelation of the creator of the universe living inside of us. And us being little Christ running around doing the same stuff Jesus did. Isn't that awesome? Holy mackerel. I don't know. I'm excited. We may not align ourselves and walk in it if our perspective of God is out of whack. You know, very often we see people, and sometimes they're vindictive, they're unforgiving, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're trying to get even, and then we put those characteristics on God. But, you know, we can't put, you know, we can't put things on God. We can't try to make him like fallen, corruptible man. We were made in God's image. He was not made in ours. I don't know. Do you believe this stuff, Shell? I believe that there's unlimited, I honestly believe that there's unlimited potential for joy. I believe there's unlimited potential for creativity. I believe there's unlimited um, potential for morality, for holiness, for prosperity, all because of Jesus. You know, the serpent said back in Genesis, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. You guys remember that? We don't have to turn there. If you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. You know what's amazing about that statement? is that a few verses before, it said that man was made in the image of God. So the serpent was trying to make them believe that they were not like God when they already were. And religion does that today. You are a new creation. You are transformed. You have been supernaturally plucked out of darkness and and positioned into heaven. But the Bible says you're seated in heavenly places. So way back then, man was created in the image of God. And here's this dirty serpent saying, 
If you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. Religion says, if you'll read your Bible five times a week, you'll be more like God. If you give a certain percentage of what you make, you'll be more like God. If you fast a little more, you'll be more like God. You see what I'm saying? It's the same lie. It's just a different century. It's a different millennium. You guys already have everything living inside of you. You know, God is not up there waiting for you to do things right. You know, and, and I was guilty of this for years. We, we'd sing more, Lord, more, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. And I'm thinking, how can we get more of him if he's living inside of us? How's that even theologically possible? He's not up there waiting for you to do something right and, and, and looking and saying, hey, Dad, look, um, you know, Corey did something really good the other day. So I'm going to shave off a little bit more of myself. And, and, and he takes out a little knife and shaves off part of his leg and gives it to Corey. That isn't how it is at all. The fullness of the creator of the universe lives inside of you. You know, the only thing we can get more of is more revelation of what's already inside of us. I, I had a revelation a while ago, and, and, I, and I love this. It changed my life. I used to read this thing, and I love the Bible. I used to read this to try to get more like God. I'd try to read it and say, Man, you know, if I could just read what's in here, maybe I could, I could believe to get more of God from it. And I felt the Lord speak to me, and feel free to call me a heretic if you want, but I felt the Lord say to me that I had it all backwards. And now I read this as an owner's manual. And let me explain it to you this way. One of my favorite cars in the world is the Bugatti. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a Bugatti. They used to be the fastest car production vehicle in the world. I think they're number two now. Incredible. If I went to the Bugatti store, there's none in Halifax, but wherever, Miami, and I picked up an owner's manual, I could study that thing and read that thing and memorize that thing. It doesn't mean I'm going to get a Bugatti. And quite frankly, after a while, I'm going to get stinking bored of reading that thing because I'm going to think, jeez, I'm never going to get a Bugatti. They're a million dollars. I'm never going to get there. It's just not going to happen. And you know, that's what happens with this. People read this. What a tragedy is for people to read this thing who are not in love. I want to encourage you, fall so deeply in love with God that when you read this, you see it with a different perspective. Now when I look at this, it's as if somebody's already given me the Bugatti, and all of a sudden, now I'm excited to read that owner's manual. Now all of a sudden, so there's the Bugatti, and it's sitting out in my front steps, and I'm looking at it, and I want to read that owner's manual because I know that I've already got it, and I want to know what I can do with it. What can I do with that? Oh, my gosh, it get, who cares how many miles of the gallon it gets? Okay, we'll just skip that part. But, you know, I can go however many hundred miles an hour. I can, I can take corners at that speed. Oh, my gosh, look at this. It's got Bluetooth, and it's got this, and it's got that. I'm going to be so excited memorizing that thing because I've already got it, and I want to use it to the, its full potential. Now when I look at this... My Bible, I look at it as, oh my gosh, I've got that? Holy mackerel. That's available to me? It's not me reading it trying to get more of God. It's me reading it going, God, give me a greater revelation of, of what you've already given me at the cross, at the fullness of what you've done. When I accepted you and you came to dwell inside of me, and the Bible says that I am now seated with you in heavenly places, what can I do? What? I can pray for people and they can get healed? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's not about reading this thing trying to get something. It's about reading this thing to understand what we already got. 
I don't know. Just kind of, kind of what I'm thinking. I think that's why the gospel, you know, in some, some uh, translations, and, and it's so scandalous because it's so easy. Jesus rolls into town and all of a sudden all the rules and regulations that the religious leaders of the day put on people all of a sudden is out the door. It's so simple. And you know, a lot of people are scared to preach that because they think if we make it too easy, then people will fall away. And I totally disbelieve that. I believe that if people really have a revelation of the truth and the simplicity and the reality of what Jesus did, it's going to make us love him more. All these rules and regulations just make it so hard. Imagine if when Shelly and I got married, if, if I gave her this big, long, well, 66 books of rules and regulations she had to follow for me to stay loving her. That'd be bad. But imagine if we got married and I was going to love her regardless. Imagine how much more we can enjoy his presence when we're not cowering under our failures. How, how much easier is it to approach the throne when we know we're forgiven rather than, rather than crawling up hoping that because he's a good God, he may forgive us if we say sorry enough or if we beg enough or if we cry? What if, what if the cross was enough? What would it look like if the church really believed that the cross was enough? Like, just think about it. That's, that's revolutionary, yet the most simple thing you've ever heard. But we forget it. You know, we, we all of a sudden, and that's why I love when Paul said, I, I claim to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's enough. Guys, we, we, get, we get so religious and we get so caught up in, in good stuff. You know, Shelly and I, years ago, we stopped praying for God to bless stuff that we were doing. And I know that sounds weird, but we would, on our own, come up with these great ideas of how we thought, you know, we, we'd do ministry or or reach people, or all this stuff, and then we'd pray, and we'd say, God, you know, please come and bless this, and what would it look like if we just hung out with Jesus as our best friend all the time, and allowed him to download revelation in our hearts, and we just went out and did it? Would we have to ask and beg for him to bless something if he's the one that birthed it? You know, Jesus wants us to, you know, a lot of times we think Jesus wants us to bear fruit. It's, it's scriptural, but I'm going to say something, and, and 11.17, how am I doing? Where's, where's Pastor Megan? Am I doing okay? Okay. But I think too often we're trying to bear fruit. You know, Jesus, God doesn't want us just to bear fruit. He wants us to bear his fruit. A friend of mine who's a preacher in South Africa, he explains it like this, and this is weird, but I'm going to explain it to you this way because when he said it to me, my, my mind just went... But imagine if Shelly and I were trying to have a kid... We already have beautiful children. They're grown now, and we're on the other side of that whole circus. But um, let's, let's pretend that we were trying to have a child. And I had to go away preaching. And so I went away preaching. I was out over in Africa, and I was preaching all up around Africa and into Europe and Asia. And three months later, after I left, I came home. And Shelly comes to greet me at the door. And she says, oh, my gosh, honey, I'm so glad you're home. I've got such great news. I'm pregnant. And I start to get excited. I say, oh my gosh, Shelly, that's so incredible. And she says, yeah, I'm a month pregnant. <laughs> this fellow wouldn't be a happy camper. 
And I would say, honey, what do you mean you're a month pregnant? I've been gone for three months. And she says, well, you know what? We've been talking about having a baby, and, and we really wanted to have a baby. I thought you'd be excited. See, we talked about bearing fruit together. We didn't, I didn't want her just to have a baby. I wanted her to have my baby. And so often we try to have, we try to bear fruit without God. And God's not saying, I don't want you to bear fruit that way. I want you to bear my fruit. And in that, it's just about being grafted into the vine and just hanging out with him and receiving his sap. And through that intimacy with God and understanding the simplicity of the cross, fruit's going to happen. Fruit's just going to happen. How hard does the branch grunt to get an apple to pop out? Do you see a branch really striving and struggling to make fruit pop? A branch is going to be the easiest job in the world. He just hangs out. Eats what the roots give them. Takes in the sun and fruit just pops. And I really believe when we understand the simplicity of who he is, and the, not the simplicity of who he is, but the simplicity of what he's done and the truth of the cross and the revelation of how incredible we are, that through that intimacy, he's going to download supernatural ideas and thoughts and, and, and plans and purposes that we can just begin to walk out. And fruit's going to happen. And it's going to be awesome. So we just kind of hang out with Jesus and, and if we feel some, we'll say, hey, Shell, this is what I'm feeling. she say, you know what? I feel the same way, and we just do it. We don't beg God to bless it. Because if it was from him, it, you know what? He's going to bless it. If it wasn't from him, he's going to close the door. We just go somewhere else. Life can be really good and really happy and really fun. You know, I, I'm in the marketplace now, and I'm working, and people say, man, what's going on? Like, your life must be perfect. You're always in a good mood. And I'm like, no, stuff happens, but I just choose to look past that. I have the same issues that anybody else does. But I choose to look past it. We spent 20 years not being able to pay our power bill. But I didn't curl up in a ball and say, I can't pay my power bill. We just kept on trucking and loving Jesus. And it got paid. Just a thought. Okay, I'm going to end with this. Yeah, this is 25 minutes, right on the nose. I believe that that's how God always wanted it. You know, Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think he's looking for a generation of people who will just believe the truth of who he is and just love people. There's a radical movement of love that I think is coming, an unconditional love. And by the way, loving somebody unconditionally doesn't mean you agree with everything in their life, by the way. We can love people that their lifestyles are a little different or their thoughts are a little different. We can unconditionally love them. And I believe that that's where the church is coming. And we're going to see, see, I think accountability is not pointing out everybody's faults, but instead it's rather calling people up to the fullness of who they are. You know, when, when, some, when you see somebody fall, instead of wagging your finger at them and saying, look what you did, they already know what they did. Why not come alongside them and say, oh my gosh, you're, better, you're so much better than this. You are a king and a queen. You, you've got such plans and purposes and destiny that can literally affect the whole wide world. This stuff, that, that's not for you. This, this is really what it's all about. It's about calling, accountability is calling people up to their destiny rather than pointing out their faults. I can guarantee you, listen, I've, I haven't always been saved. I got saved when I was 20 or 21. Before that, I lived like heck. And I can guarantee you everything I did back then, I knew it was wrong. I didn't need somebody to tell me it was wrong. I needed somebody to believe in me before I believed in myself. Oh, it's good. It's really good. 
We just have to stop trying and just enjoy him. Become full-time enjoyer. 2 Corinthians 1.24, you don't have to go there, but 2 Corinthians 1.24 in the King James Version, Paul said he was a helper of your joy. How awesome is that? Imagine if we all left here today and said, you know what? I'm going to be a helper of everybody's joy. I'm going to call out destiny and purpose and beauty out of everybody. Even that creep at the office that drives me crazy, I'm going to call out purpose and destiny out of him. I'm going to help that creep understand joy and enjoy the day. Imagine, helpers of his joy. I like that job, Todd. I should have business cards made up for that. The primary purpose of religion is to make you, is to make you distrust what God has already given you. You know, when we're saved, we're not just saved from hell. We're supernaturally translated, transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven because nothing is impossible. And I literally believe that. I, I, I literally believe that everybody that's sitting here today has such a plan and a purpose and a destiny. And like, Jesus is big, guys. Jesus is really big. Do you guys want to come up and just noodle around a little bit and, and see what happens? Do you guys get a little something out of this? Are we all going to leave here and be helpers of his joy? And you can confidently go before anybody, no matter their struggle. And if they're looking for help, I guarantee you have the answer. Because it's always the same. It's Jesus. It's always the same. That's like 25, 30 minutes, huh? That was a miracle. First miracle of the service. <laughs> so you know what? While these guys uh, uh, play, if it's okay with the leadership... I would love to just kind of mull and creep around up here. And if anybody wants prayer for anything, I'd love to just stand with you and just believe for a miracle in your life. Why not? What do you have to lose? Maybe you've been dealing with this sickness for years and years and the doctor said there's no chance. Why not? Maybe you're, you're looking for a breakthrough in finances. Maybe you're, whatever your circumstances, and you know what, it's not me, guys, it's Jesus, but I do believe that he's living inside of me and I think he's big enough to to blow past any of those issues you have. I really believe that. So I might call Shelly up or, or the, any of the leadership team or I don't know how you guys do it here, um, but I'd love to just be available, just to believe with you, just to stand with you and say, God, I'm standing with them today and I'm believing for their breakthrough. And just declare healing, declare breakthrough. You guys good with that? Father, I thank you for this amazing day. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing. And Jesus, may we be helpers of your joy. May we get that revelation that it's not about us wagging our fingers at people, but it's, it's about being helpers of our joy. May us understand accountability, that it's not about just pointing out people's faults. It's about, it's about calling people up to their destiny. In Jesus' name, Father. Jesus' name, amen.